Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. They called him the hammer. That was his nickname. He used to, you know, he used to put a lot of seats, people in the seats, apparently, because as soon as they dropped the puck, he'd just grab somebody and start feeding them, you know. And he was drunk on the ice a lot, is the stories I hear. You know, he'd put a 40 down before the game. They'd go out, drop the puck, and he'd just go toe-to-toe with somebody. And apparently he wasn't a very good fighter. He got beat a lot, but the crowd used to love it. You know the difference between hockey and those other sports? You gotta be tough to be a hockey player. I idolized Dominic Kaczyk. I played goalie because of Dominic Kaczyk. My life in hockey has been started because of Sabres hockey. I didn't need playoffs this year. I wanted it, but I didn't need it. But when you screw up for the fans as much as the team has over the last, like, five years, and just don't hold yourself accountable, I'm sorry. I'll hang up and listen. I'm sorry. Welcome to Two Goalies, One Mike, an in-depth look and behind-the-mask conversation about the greatest game on earth, where everything goes and nothing's off-limits. Now I'll tell you something about this guy. This is only three minutes, eh? Whammo! Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 37 of Two Goalies, One Mike. I'm Johnny Cullen, your co-host, joined alongside Dwayne Steinella, as always. And we are pleased today to be joined by Justin Bourne, who is a co-host of Hockey Central on Fan 590. Uh, Just an all-around great guy, writer and speaker for Sportsnet, uh, former player himself. Um, Justin, been a fan of yours for quite a while, man. You're definitely one of the best Twitter followers I've ever had. Really, really happy to have you on here, man. Thanks for giving us your time. Yeah, no problem at all. Thanks for having me, guys. This is a, a good time of year to, uh, to get some casual hockey chats in. I love it. Absolutely, Justin. I got to thank you. I know we've been playing tag a little bit here back and forth for like, well, well, a couple months now, right? I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, finally. <laughs> Finally, we're able to, uh, you know, get, get this set up and I'm, you know, I couldn't tell you how excited I am. Um, you know, you know, let's, uh, let's get, let's go let's start laughing. So one <laughs> thing I wanted to touch on, so growing up, um, I mean, we were just talking about it off air. Not, not every day are you born into a hockey dynasty. So your father, uh, what is it? Is it Bob born? Yeah. So Bob was a member of the, uh, dynasty Islanders team, New York Islanders. So you were telling us off air, you were born um, about halfway through that. What, what, if any memories do you have of, of growing up and uh, you know, how much longer did your dad play in, in the show and the national after you, uh, you know, started remembering things? Yeah. Um, so I was born in 82. They won in 82 and 83. They already had, had won the two. I blame my father for me having never won a Stanley cup. Cause there's pictures of me touching the cup as a kid. I'm like literally oh, sitting at the top. If you're not supposed oh, to touch it, imagine sitting in it. It's uh, an early jinx. Yeah. But, Probably. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. He, I, I, he got traded to the Kings in, uh, in 86. So I kind of remember those years a little bit better than the New York years, but because like we really are an Islanders family more than a Kings family. He was there for 12 years. 
Um, and we used to go back to Long Island and, and all that. So a lot of my Island Islanders memories are after the years he was there, you know, going back for his hall of fame induction, where I told you, I kind of re-met my now wife and um, you know, my, my Islander ties are stronger, but I kind of remember the Kings years, just a quick Kings thing. One of my favorite stories is playing road hockey in the garage as a kid. And my dad sitting drinking beers with Bernie Nichols in the backyard and Luke <laughs> Robitaille coming over and like, just kind of like th those are the years I was like, man, this is, I was aware, like, this is actually kind of cool. Like you don't know for a long time, but that's when I was kind of coming online that this is different and kind of cool. Oh, for that sure. Is, that is so cool. Like, Hey, yeah, Bert, Burns just in the backyard. <laughs> he just, just scored 50. Just having a yeah, beer. No big deal. <laughs> oh, now when you were, I know you said your time in LA wasn't as long as, as the Islanders was Mark Hardy around the organization then? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Fair enough. Just, he was my assistant coach when I was out in Ontario rain, but oh, um, yeah. so you were, you were telling us off the air and you just mentioned it. Can you share the story with our listeners about how uh, you kind of got reconnected with your wife? Yeah. Yeah. My dad got inducted in the Islanders hall of fame in 2006 and I was up at university in Alaska uh, and they were going to fly me down to, to watch the induction. They're like, yeah, we'll put you up at a hotel. And then my dad was like, no, 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 you're staying at the Gillies. You know, he's my best friend. And, I remember being there and uh, knocking on the door and seeing Brianna, who I hadn't seen in many years, who was there home for Thanksgiving and being like, well, hello, I'm Justin. Um, <laughs> and she, I would say three months, three months later, she flew up to Alaska for a visit and we hit it off. So we got two kids now. We've been married for, God, I don't know, almost 10 years, I guess. It shows commitment too. flying up to Alaska. That's not like a short flight. So that means... No, yeah, that, that really says no. Uh, you know, Duane, I liked my odds of things going well. Yeah, she right. You know, she's flying up to Alaska to come hang out. I mean, yeah, she must be doing something right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, talk about great lineage and in, in, in hockey genes. I know that, you know, with the Kachuk sons being in, in, the, in the league now, we're starting to see more and more um, players of, um, you know, they had their fathers, you know, step into the league. Talk about, you know, Clark Gillies, Bob Bourne, the cups between them. I'm thinking your kids, if hockey is their sport, that they, they got a lot of, you know, winning in their blood, um, you know, but onto your career now. So you, um, you know, moving around with your dad quite a bit. Um, so you guys eventually, it looks like settled in what, Western Canada? And yeah, um, Kelowna was home for me growing up. So Kelowna, um, playing in, in the BCHL. I, um, you know, I never got out to see a BCHL game, had a tremendous amount of respect for it. Um, you know, being, you know, closer to the, the Ontario leagues, um, you know, what was that like? And, and, you know, playing for the Vernon Vipers, that's one of, you know, one of the premier programs, um, you know, what was that like? And, and did, how did, how did your recruitment to Alaska go? Yeah, it's, um, you know, growing up, it was funny because my dad, uh, you know, everyone's like, you know, what did you learn from your dad? And interestingly enough, like after my, you know, after we retired to Kelowna, he retired to Kelowna and we settled in there. He was there for a few years and then took coaching jobs in the U S. So he coached the Las Vegas thunder with like, Radic Bonk and Peter Nedved and the Utah Grizzlies and some of those teams. So, um, you know, my experience with my dad was more, you know, he'd send me a dozen of Mick Vakota's hockey sticks because they were extra or, you know, whatever the random experience yeah. was. But a lot of my playing career itself was, you know, it was just with my mom, you know, so it's, I would kind of have dribs and drabs when I'd go down to visit my dad where he was and he'd be like, yes, yeah, this is Arlie Zalapsky. I was like, yeah, I know that guy. You know, like I you'd pick up these like one week kind of cool experiences, but for the most part, you know, we made, made the best of it in, uh, in Kelowna, then it was West side and Vernon was great to me, man. Vernon, honestly, that was one of the, the greatest experiences of my career. Cause 
playing for like the elite team, like the New York Yankees of a league is really cool. You know, you have the bigger budget, you have good fans. It kind of feels, you feel like you're special, even though you're not. And I'm sure this, you know, it's the same at every level when you're on that team. So I was really proud to be a Vernon Viper um, and we had great teams and I was there. So great experience all around. I did fly to, I flew down to University of New Hampshire, talked to Colorado, Niagara, Bowling Green, but Alaska was like, you know, we will give you a full ride division one scholarship to play in the best division in college hockey at the time. And, you know, it, it, they delivered as promised. That division was, was that WCHA? Yeah. 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 And then it was like North Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin. So, you know, you're playing against Oshi and Kessel and Opozo and, you know, Ryan Suter and Jonathan Taves and, you know, Thomas Vanek, like then the, it was good. So, so, so question for you real quick. Um, have you seen, cause I'm, I'm big on this movie. I've brought it up a couple of times on the pod, uh, mystery Alaska. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> is it like that? Is, is it like that up there? Do they skate? Do they, do they fucking skate the river up there? You cold, man. No one's outside. <laughs> the, the reality too, is it's like, it's dark. You know, like when I was there, I went home, Kelowna's beautiful in the summer. So I went home every summer uh, and I would come back and like the time change, like the sun goes down, it gets darker by like 20 minutes a day by the time I was getting up there. So it's dark and it's cold. And I, for the winters I was up there, I'm grateful we flew to the lower 48 states to get some sunshine once in a while. But man, I don't know what they do there because I was never outside. I lived in buildings. It's cold and dark. I mean, great I'm sure that burst Twain's bubble because it, yeah, he's big on Mystery Alaska. I am too. I We love oh, it. I think so we've much. brought it up in a couple other interviews and um, happy to hear that you, you've you seen it. It's a beaut. Um, to be honest, show. are you a little disappointed to know that's not actually like that, Twain? <laughs> yeah. yeah. One of my one of my favorite quotes from that movie, they kind of, kind of piggybacking off what Justin said, was when Skank went to the uh, when when Skank Martin went to the mayor's house to confront him uh, after uh, the lawyer's death. I forget the lawyer's name. I can't remember all the time I had, but he goes he goes he's like you know I I, I play hockey and I fornicate because those are the two most fun things to do in cold weather. Yeah. And when I'm too old to do both, I'll probably just end up like a drunk with my dad. <laughs> Sounds about right. With the name so Skank that, Martin, that seems reasonably on point. That that should be on the state flag of Alaska. Yeah, <laughs> the nice hockey and becoming maybe a borderline alcoholic. Yeah, oh, I love it. So you, you you had a good go there in the best college hockey conference, and I remember that WCHA was just loaded. Like you mentioned, a couple of uh, current NHLers even still, you know, coming out of that. Um, I was a big Michigan fan, and and I, well, they weren't WCHA, right? They were no. Um, yeah, Michigan Tech was in the division, but to see how the hockey division one landscapes changed in the past 10, 20 years has been interesting. Um, one last question about uh, your time in Alaska. Are, I know I've heard some things about uh, the hockey program maybe being so there was two hockey programs, right? There was Fairbanks and Ala Anchorage. Yeah, yeah. Did they combine? Nope. So they no, that's still one of those bitter, bitter rivalry things, right? You think they'd have everything in common, but you're you have to hate each other. So they're very yeah. separate. So good. I, they're both still going. Good to hear. Um, I, I I forget. I read an article maybe that some funding was in trouble. Seawolves are in trouble. They're they're So this might be their last season. They're looking for help and um, they've got some, you know, wealthy benefactors there. Some people that can help them out. There's a lot of uh, passion for the program, but it's in trouble. 
Well, a couple clicks for the, the, the Seawolves. Hopefully they can pull it out. Um, we'd love to, you know, hockey in Alaska and just being a part of college hockey. I think that's pretty cool. So would love to see that there. Uh, real quick, just about your playing career before we get into, you know, the more fun endeavors of, of your life. You know, getting into the East Coast League um, was your first sniff right there. What was that? Was that like a bus ride to the to the Aces facility? Yeah, yeah, it was actually wild. The So I didn't want to like brand myself as an East Coast Hockey League player. So I, I said no, like because your, your university year end, ends and they're like, come play for us. And I didn't want that label. I wanted to go play in at least the American League the next year but they gave me the Mario Lemieux treatment. They're like, you can only play home games, come play the home games and then Love stick it. with us for the playoffs. And, you know, you can do whatever you want. And I was like, amazing. It was an amazing opportunity. The problem was, um, you know, when your college hockey season ends, it's a gong show. Like it's a mess. You're going out every weekend, you know, and I'm living in a house with three guys who are done for the year. So I'm playing home games only. I'm, you know, going out with the guys all the time. Playing guilty at that point was not maybe what it could have been, we'll say. So that that the ACC experience was eh? one, but not that not uh, not hockey first. Oh, I love it. I love it. And now, so was there a Bridgeport, New York Islanders connection there? Did that help that to have your dad in? Uh, you know, obviously, anytime your father contributes to four Stanley Cups, I'm sure that um, they're willing to be taking a chance on on a son to have that dynasty. Yeah. Um, you know, AHL. Not everybody gets there. It's, 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 it's on it. It's, it's, it's fun for us to talk to, to the ones that do even, um, you know, not everybody makes the NHL, but it's so few make the AHL. What was your time there like? And, you know, as, as your career wound up, you know, was it, was it an injury? Was it, I read that right? Was it a jaw injury that ended your yeah. career? I mean, also not being very good. That didn't help, but um, the, same here, buddy, same here. You know, the, the, uh, the American hockey league, I think was like a reasonable level for me after my college, my senior college year. Um, so I had opportunities in a number of places, but yeah, you know, the, with the Islander ties, I think they, they see an opportunity to get a little bit of PR, um, myself and Jordy Hart, who was a son of Jerry Hart, a former Islander, both were invited to the main camp that year. So probably wouldn't have seen the main camp without that, but the, the AHL experience was great. Like, you know, I, I signed a deal with Bridgeport there and a two-way deal with their ECHL team and went back and forth and, you know, I was actually in Bridgeport for a chunk of time. I just watched when I was there, you know, it's yeah. tough to get the opportunity when, when you're called up to be the, the 13th forward or whatever, but great experiences, honestly, man, like I look back at it and wonder, you know, if I knew then what I knew now, like maybe would have prioritized hockey a little bit more. You feel like no one's watching cause you're in the ECHL, but, uh, or, or the, even the American league, but it was a great experience and obviously allowed me the springboard to do what I'm doing now. So I'm grateful for it. Well, and I think that gives you like a certain amount of credibility. Um, you see a lot of former pros, NHL, AHL, East Coast guys get into the journalism world, but then there's a lot that aren't. But um, And not that non-hockey players can't do journalism and hockey well, but I think it lends to your credibility having been through it, right? Not only as a player, but as a coach. And you know, I'm sure we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why I've enjoyed your work. And as a former player, I didn't get to the level you got. You talked about, you know, watching in the AHL. I was relegated to the press box and in Ontario watching. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, Idaho Steelheads. That was one of the few trips that I made. That yeah. was a cool barn. Did you play in the rink still where it was connected to the hotel? Yeah. What a, what a place that is too. That man. was a cool road trip for me. That was wild. It's awesome. Great, great town, great fans, like great city, you know, very college city. Um, you know, I, I got hurt pretty bad there. Um, but my wife did come visit me. Now wife did come visit me when I was there. And 
we went to went to the bar it's like dollar cans of miller light like if you're wow. like as a canadian you know growing up as a canadian like to go to a bar and pay a buck for a can of beer or whatever it's like no no wonder everyone had a great time there so that, that was a fun road trip and a fun fun place to spend some time too Dwayne, you'll appreciate this that um I wasn't 21 at the time, so I didn't get to go out with the boys, but I got to walk around the city. But the only thing that I remember was we took, we didn't fly there because it was a playoff matchup. It was 17 hours there because it was uphill and it was like a 10 hour trip back. It was wild because of downhill. <laughs> that's, that's what I remember. But um, I, I don't have too many stories like that because my hockey, hockey career is very, very mediocre. So <laughs> well, I'm sure I, I, mine was mediocre as well. Yeah, I have, I have good stories. You know, those are stories though, that we have over a few beers, not on, not on stories. <laughs> hey, one do- over some $1 Miller lights. Yeah. Well, $1. Yeah. That, that sounds like a night where you're going to get in trouble. Honestly, $1 Miller lights. Like, I don't know if you're familiar, Justin, before we get into the nitty gritty uh, with Justin Mullaney, the, the, the comedian, or yeah. is it, no, uh, is it Mullaney? John Mullaney. John Mullaney. He does a, he does a skit about, um, blacking out, blacking out, and he, he mentions uh, um, a bar that he, he, he's in a made up bar, like nickel shot night. It's like, yeah, I'm not gonna, I thought it was a skip nickel shot night. It's not like I'm gonna die if I go out for nickel shot night. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, maybe well, yeah, Dollar in, Miller, like, what? <laughs> yeah, and being in Alaska, Alaska is super expensive. So growing up in Canada and then living in Alaska, I was just like used to that sort of lifestyle. Then you go to a place like Idaho where they're like, yeah, your meal and six beers is nine, about $9. It's like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> right. Excuse me, sir. Well, I always got pissed. I thought the LCBO was an outrage or going to the beer store paying 40 bucks for a case. Maybe they got the right idea because if those prices were relegated to some of the state's prices, it would just be chaos. Right. I, will tell you, I didn't do well by it. It didn't, uh, <laughs> didn't work with my, my habits. That's for sure. So um, we, we talked a bit about it. Um, you got into, well, let me ask you this. How did you, you know, from, it's always tough ending your career, especially if you don't get to go out on your own terms with an injury, right? Um, what made you get into to journalism? Was it, was it one specific movement? Was it a job opportunity? I read an early article of yours, a pretty powerful piece in the USA Today um, about uh, Brendan Burke. And that was so well-written and, and at the time, uh, for those of you who don't know, hockey was, and it still is, you know, I think we're working on it being a very inclusive sport. Uh, but at the time, there was no talk of any out open players. Um, and it was kind of like a don't ask, don't tell policy. Um, and I think we all grew up during that. But after your article, I, I think that that really started the process. Was that your first gig with USA Today? And how did you get into it? And I guess kind of part B of that question, what did that piece mean to you looking back on it? Yeah, you know, that's, so I did get, I got a slap shot to the face and I was on the, you know, my jaws wired shut and I was on the couch for, it ended up being, God, months. So I was, I was in wires for like eight weeks, but my uncle was a sports writer and him and I used to send emails back and forth about sports that were going on. He was like, you know, your emails, I had time to write them. And he was like, this is good stuff. He's like, you just start a blog. And so I just kind of started a blog while I was on the couch. And then it turns out there aren't too many people who, you know, I was an active player, you know, in, in the minors at that point, and not too many people were playing and writing stuff. So the blog got some attention. I, the hockey news asked me to write a piece and, oh, you know, one of the first things I did was uh, the Islanders website, Chris Botta, a guy there had me write about how my wife, Brianna and I ended up getting together. So I just kind of got started in, in the writing at that point. And um, it went well enough that I realized, you know, next season I was kind of debating offers, whether I was going to go overseas to, to go play somewhere, but my wife was just finished her master's program and, you know, kind of trying to figure out where your life is going next. And I felt like I had enough momentum 
with a blog that I was like, maybe I can do the media side of this. Um, got that opportunity with uh, USA Today to just do freelance work. Uh, they paid me 15 bucks an article. No, the hockey news is 15 bucks an article. USA Today was a little more, but um, to, to do some work. And then that was one of the first pieces that kind of got some attention. It was called, it's time to end the use of gay slurs in hockey, which were you in a hockey dressing room prior to 2009? I mean, you were called the same thing if you were soft, if you were whatever, you know, it was just, it was the same thing over and over. So that was, that was a good foray, something I'm proud to have written. Actually, after I wrote that, Brendan Burke, um, actually Patrick Burke, Brendan's brother wrote me an email, just said how much it meant to the Burke family that I had written that. I ended up getting in touch with Brendan um, and kind of got a, you know, my tie with, with the family there. So uh, those were the very early days and eventually the score hired me, which is my first full-time hockey media job. And I started a blog called Backhand Shelf and that's kind of where things took off media-wise. And I yeah. think that that's when I started following you. That was, that was awesome. Um, props to you for doing that, man. It's, it's given a lot of people, you know, like you said, how much it meant to the Burke family. Um, but, you know, you probably don't get this, but that kind of started a movement, right? And you see it now and, and you must be proud of it. And, and I know so many people are, um, because of where the movement's going now, but uh, good on you for that. A couple clicks for that, but sorry, Dwayne, go ahead. You were going to ask something. So, um, well, two quick points. Um, so you said that one of your first pieces that got more the most recognition was the one you did with the Islanders. Yeah. So, so, you, so what you're saying, kind of saying is that you owe your wife, your career. <laughs> is, she, is she around? Can't you hear me say that? Yeah, no, but, but it's 100% true. What's, what's funny is like, that's not even a debate because <laughs> She got her degree and at the time, like she's an occupational therapist, there was an offer to, um, you know, recruiting thing to Arizona. And it was like, you know, for whatever, I think it was a few grand, they, you know, come move to Arizona and take this job here. And I was like, if we do, I'll play for the, they had an ECHL team out there. I'll play for that ECHL team in Arizona, while you know, while you're doing that and figure out what my writing career is going to be, the team folded. Ah. Yeah, the Phoenix Roadrunners folded that same summer after we moved there. Um, you know, so I, I was like, you know, I'm going to try this media thing. Sorry about the uh, ding in there. And she was like, hey, hey, it keeps me on my toes. Yeah. She basically said, I'll give you, I'll give you a year. She gave me a year to like bring in scraps of freelance money while she supported us, um, for a full year. And it was like right at the end of the year when the score thing came up and, you know, otherwise, I don't know, I don't know what I do. So I'm, I'm glad, glad appreciate her for everything she's done for me. It certainly helped me in my media career as well as in many other ways. One, one, one sounds like a beauty. One last thing before we touch on the Sabres from NHL talk is, I guess, piggybacking off of what Cully brought in that article you wrote that really opened a lot of eyes. I recently wrote an article uh, for Trainwreck and Deed Blundell uh, on the Mitchell Miller uh, situation and, you know, the, the reaction, not just fans, around around the uh, around North America but just 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 the reaction of um, the NHL and just you know obviously he's been cut from uh, cut ties with the US development program North Dakota and now obviously with Phoenix um, just you know I, I, I kind of touched on my own story with bullying and I, I brought it up a few times um, where you know you know the, the lasting effects, it has on, on people. And I, I'm 33 years old today and I still deal with a lot of it even today, you know, yeah. the, the, the depression side of things. And just, you know, I've been over it with Cully and, you know, I think about, I, you know, what really irritated me, uh, you know, with some of the reaction, at least there were a lot of people standing up for Mitchell Miller. There wasn't a ton of talk about the, 
what Isaiah not just is going through now still, but what he's still going to go through over yeah. the next decade. Cause it just doesn't end just because, you know, these parts of his career are ending for now, for now, I, I'd imagine at some point Mitchell Moe might get a second chance in hockey, but just the lasting effects that it's going to have on Isaiah for a good chunk of his life. And just, um, and I'm just a shiny, obviously, I, I can't speak to the racial injustices, before, but as far as the other bullying things, the physical, the mental, the verbal, um, just, you know, I can, I can relate to that. And I, I wrote about it and just, you know, I, I'm just, I can still relate to just what he's getting ready to go through, even, even though on a national platform, his story has been brought to light. You know, just your thoughts on all that. Just, yeah, you know. man. Well, it actually, I mean, it relates to hockey and just that you, you know, hazing in hockey was like a really, it was a really common thing. I want to say that like the timing of my career, like I was just on the cusp of it being, you know, they were just changing hazing rules. So it wasn't allowed, you know, when I came up, but there were certainly a number of players who within the sport went through that. But yeah, man, it's, you know, I really hope. So first off, you hope that Isaiah is all right. It can't help that this is in the national spotlight, but it probably does help that there has been some public rebuke for the person who treated him so terribly for so long. And on the hockey side of it for Arizona, I just hope that something fell through the cracks here. Cause if you hear the stories about what happened, there's no way that you can say, yeah, you know what? We'll give him a chance anyway. Let's yeah. make him our first pick. Yeah. yeah. With, with, with the push pop thing and then just the, 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 the verbal lashings, both racial and all of it. It's just, it, it's like, and, I, and me personally, I, I'm, I've opened up a lot. I was like, I was, I was legitimately, I had, I had a, a player on my own hockey team urinate in my shampoo bottle behind my back yeah. and then laugh about it with teammates and then go into high, our high school next day and tell literally every human being he possibly could and it, it learned it, it led to suicidal thoughts and tendencies for myself and just you know what he's going to go through or is going through like it's it just doesn't stop it no. doesn't like I said I'm 33 years old and I still to this day deal with it and yeah. well, I you, feel you, so you, badly you, for him I know man and I hope that this is uh, a jumping off point for more of these type of conversations you know there's a lot of you know, it's a more recent movement to talk about, you know, mental health and, you know, men's mental health is something that can be harder for men with general, like, you know, masculinity and sports and, you know, a lot of the walls you got to get through. So I'm hoping that that is the positive spin here, that more people are more comfortable talking about the stuff that yeah. you know, you've been talking about. And I think that, um, you know what, like I said before, but good on you because back then, like you mentioned that the hazing was, was starting to like during that, I would like to say, 2007 to 2012 was when the hazing really kind of been was commonplace to like let's get rid of it like my third year in the O was 2011 and that was the first year we had to sign the no hazing stuff my oh, yeah. rookie year we still did the nine guys in the in the bathroom on the bus stuff didn't see that at, at the end of my career which was good um but like Dwayne said moving on to NHL Sabres talk uh before we end and I think we got about 20 minutes left your most recent piece on Sportsnet, the stats out of the wet, very well-written piece. Like you said, the, the stats people um, at these sites, they, they go above and beyond. They are the heroes, and I love the stuff they come up with. I think part of it is the way my brain works. I've always been a, a numbers guy, even as a goalie. Dwayne, I don't know about you, but Justin, you know how some arenas have shot counters? Yeah. 
So, Dwayne, I had terrible games whenever there was a shot counter because if yeah. I let in one goal and there was six shots, my brain would be like, oh, you're flirting you're around. You're like, focused on it. You're focused on it. If I let in three on 20, I'd be yeah, like, oh, I'm shit, about it. 880. So yeah. I, um, I don't know. I love your piece. I want to get to that. But I know for our listeners, mostly Sabres fans, you are – I'll touch on it really quickly. You spent some time in the, in the Maple Leafs organization with the Marlies. Is, are you, you consider yourself a Leafs fan? Um, I know in the market you're in, a lot of things skew towards the Leafs. Yeah. Um, but not yeah. to fire up more than it needs to be. I mean, if I'll call myself an Islanders fan, right? Like, at first of all, I'm obligated to. If I'm not an Islanders fan, then I've betrayed a lot of people. So that's first and foremost. The Leafs, thing is like, uh, there is a, a personal connection with so many people once you've worked in the organization. So like Kyle, my, my job with the, the Leafs and Marlies started from writing articles that like Sheldon Keefe and Kyle Dubas read. Then they DM me about, this is like back when they were in the Sioux. Um, yeah, I played against Kyle when he was the GM there. Oh yeah, yeah, there you go. So like he's, he'd been there, you know, he was 25 years old or something when he was the GM. So Built some pretty good teams. Yeah, man, he knew what he was doing. And so they, they ended up giving me the opportunity. And so I got to know him and I worked literally shoulder to shoulder with Sheldon for a couple of years. Then you get to know the the strength and training coach and the medical guy and the guy who sells tickets, the director of operations, the, you know, a lot of the players. And so you watch the team and you can't help but root for them. Like, you know, you, you know, their families and what it means to them and where they've come from. And so you're invested. So yes, I want to see the Toronto Maple Leafs win the Stanley cup. That would be amazing. Yeah. You know, I, uh, maybe that's excessive. I'd like to see them all do well. Uh, Fired up! Fired up! We don't talk about the Leafs winning anything on this podcast, Justin. Yeah, Justin no, we don't talk about Justin's Justin's I'm going to be polite. I'm going to be polite. I mean, you know, you're a first timer here. You're a first timer. We don't talk about the fucking Leafs winning anything. Austin Matthews can eat fucking Jack Eichel's jock fry. Hey, so hey, let me ask you this. Yeah, kind of segueing into that. Um, we'll get to the Sabres' troubles in a second. Um, something that me and Dwayne have talked about a lot, and I know Sabres fans like to harp on it. There's a lot of money tied up in that, that forward group, right? Yeah. Um, and the Leafs, like any team and, and, and like any GM's job, Kyle's trying to figure out the magic formula, right? I think that it's, um, um, how do I say this? He drafted well. He hit home runs on Nylander, right? Marner turned out to be very, very good at, at the sixth pick. Obviously, with, with uh, Matthews at number one, he's kind of like our Eichel. You know you're going to get a franchise player there. At least you hope so, right? Yeah. But um, kind of the effect of that is, well, you got to pay these guys as they're coming off their entry-level deals. And it, it, I think the shitty part for the Leafs is that it all kind of happened within that same year or two, right? And yeah. it, and they haven't had that success yet. They've it, it, That first round exits... You know that, that sucks. That that's something that hangs on to ah, you. Right? Right. Back on that, um, <laughs> and it's something that Dwayne loves to bring up. But for you, do they have the necessary people in that room to get it done? Um, and have they done enough with the back end? And can the goaltending get it done? I, I'm just curious. You're in that marketplace. You you know the Leafs better than we do. Um, do you think that they? What's preventing them from being the best in the East? Yeah, all you know they. So I'm a, I'm more of a believer in the Leafs than I think a, than a lot of people are. But I will say, if you look at what they did this offseason, it's really hard to build a line, like a bottom six line that can like defend when they have a lead. So like they have this team that seems super well built to put run up the score. Some nights they're, they're going to win five, nothing. That's just yeah. going to be how it's going to go. But when it gets tight and they get up a goal, 
they still have the same problems they always had. So unless TJ Brody can make that much of a difference on the back end, which, you know, they're obviously, they got a lot of stock in that because I don't think they're going to put out a shutdown line of Joe Thornton, Jimmy VC and whoever else. And all of a sudden they're going to defend like world beaters. So I'm a believer that the team is good enough to, to win some series. You watch the type, the type of teams that go deep in the playoffs and it's not what the Leafs are. So, you know, there's reason to, I could see you being a, a doubter. Dwayne's got a lot to stand on with that one. I could see, <laughs> but uh, I still believe in his eyes than they were last year. So let me I ask mean, you, you, lost, you lost to a Zamboni driver last year. Hey, <laughs> you, there's no David Ayers Slater. He is a good man. Yeah, there's nothing against David Ayers, but 42-year-old Zamboni driver with, with, with kidney problems? Like, come on. <laughs> but I think, when I think that you're giving, like, I think as all washed-up goalies, like, the David Ayers thing is like, well, fuck, I can go in there and fucking win an NHL game, right? You probably did a disservice to a lot of goaltenders out yeah. there. It just looks easy to get in there, eh? And yeah. our, our fucking title of our podcast is Two Goalies, One Mike. There's no room for this goalie slander. Yeah. So, let me ask you this. There was two reactions to that whole thing. There was Steve Dangle's reaction in, in Toronto, and then there was my reaction here in buffalo two complete polar opposites steve was pissed um no it's funny justin to see Dwayne and steve kind of go back and forth i'm sure that you 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 know steve and ran into him um but one of Dwayne's, you know Dwayne is is a diehard sabers fan and i love that about him is he bleeds blue and gold um and now we can actually say that because you know we got back to royal jerseys thank god the sabers are gonna look good um what are your thoughts on the Sabres um, and some of the moves they've made? Um, I'm, I'm telling you what, me and Dwayne have talked about it. I love that they got Olafson at the price they did. Yeah. Like um, Dwayne had mentioned one of your tweets, Reinhardt's now on a prove-it deal. I think the big thing for me is, is there's a big question mark and goal for the Sabres. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's a lot left to be desired in, in our bottom six and in, in the efficiency we get from the defensemen we have. Like you, you have the pieces in place, you, you think you do, but what, what are your thoughts on the Sabres and where they're at? Can this be the year that they get out of this drought? Yeah, you know, here's, and I, you can go back and check my tweets since I've been on Twitter. I want the Sabres to be good. I genuinely, I like the franchise. I like the city of Buffalo. I like the people. I like the chicken wings. I like, I really, I want, I like the, the uniform. I want, Buffalo to be good. It's just been so disheartening for so long here watching, particularly here's the thing with, with the Sabres while I'll say I believe in, in where they're headed is I believe in Jack Eichel. I think there's like a passion and a fire and a maturity and like a, he's a guy who can take games over. And I think in the NHL, when you have guys like that, your teams don't stay bad forever. Like those guys just don't go through their career. Even if you talk about guys who had great careers, but never won a cup, Joe Thornton's still been to the cup final, you know, the same with Patty Marlowe, whoever example, Henrik Sedin, Daniel Sedin still went to game seven of a cup final. Jack Eichel's not going to go through his career without having seen a Stanley cup final. There's not a chance to me. So if he stays in, in Buffalo though, and will that happen in Buffalo? That's well, the question, and, and, right? The, the trick there is going to be the team showing him that they, that they want to get there, right? Like that they are buying into the whole package too. They're surrounding him in this off season. They absolutely did. Yeah. They told him they, they showed him they're willing to spend money. They're committed, you know, Taylor Hall's in, can you, you know, convince him to stick around? They're at least making it clear to him. Hey, we're not just tearing it down and, and going to lose hockey games because to keep him, he has to know that he's going to be in a co- competitive team trying to win. And that's, that's part of the balance is you can't just rebuild while he's there. I don't think he's going to stand for that for too long. And you, and you know what here, Justin, I, a big, a big thing with me is I think if not for the situation we're in with COVID 
I think that one year deal is a is, is a long term deal because with Halsey, but, yeah, absolutely. Because the way he was sold on Buffalo, not just by you know the 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 ability to play with Jack. Because there's two sides of this argument. It's like, oh, well, he want you know signed a one year deal here because you know he wants to cash in on the next deal, and the best center he could possibly play with right now is Jack Eichel. That 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 the argument holds a lot of weight to it. But you know what? In the grand scheme of things, when you look at you know some contracts that we will soon enough have come off the books, uh, Kyle Poso in, in in two years, um, there's gonna be a lot of cap space, a lot of move uh, ability to uh, you know bring in some more dead team. money coming off too. Yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely. Mm-hmm. And in that ability to play with a center like Jack like a long term and put up the type of points. And now you see you locked up Sam Reinhardt on a very very team friend. I honestly, me and Coley both talked. We thought he was going to come in around north of six, not five point two. Yeah, like no way. I thought he was and coming Olufsen in. Olafson too. I thought Olafson was going to, you know, because his comparables were right there in the in the five range, right? Like Kubalik. You thought like he's going to get definitely right around what Kubalik got, and it, he came below Kubalik, which blew my mind. Yeah. Um, so hats off to Kevin Adams for that. You know, he's definitely had a good start here, considering there was a lot of. I was very skeptic. Uh, you know, a guy with not much experience, actually really no experience at all, coming to you know be the general manager of an they NHL hockey. Him. They stripped the organization around him. It's, it's, it's yeah. a good start for him. Absolutely. Now, what I would like to see is some more, you know, add some more pieces to your blue line because I don't think that blue line is strong enough to be able to, you know, make a yeah. deep playoff run. There's, you know, people, the big thing here out here in Buffalo is Ristolainen. You know, how is Ristolainen still with this team? You know, his, you know, his Corsi numbers are terrible. His Fenwick numbers are terrible. And, you know, it, it, it's true. They are. But it, it has also been proven that if you manage his minutes and don't ask him to play 25 minutes a night, that he can be serviceable for this team. He's not so, a top pairing guy. Dwayne, you hit it on no, the head. He's not. He's not. No, he's not. He's, he's, he's a skipping pairing guy. For so long, he was a top pairing guy on a brutal team yeah. that used him ineffectively. And, Justin, one of, the, one of the things that I find fascinating about your writing going back a few years is how – how well you're able to identify that part of it is, has been that you've been there, you've been a a player, you've been in in these organizations. Um, How much player usage goes into it, right? When, when these guys get a bad rap or or maybe they have stellar, stellar years, how much of that is being put in a position to succeed? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great point. Like, you know, we had Ryan Strom on hockey central today and asked him about what worked for him with the Rangers. And he's like, well, I was drafted as a centerman. They've made me a winger my whole career. This year I got to play center in the top six with Artemi Panarin. Like, what do you, why do you think it went well for me? Like he was put in a position to succeed. Uh, You can't do that for everyone, but at the same time, you can totally submarine a guy. You know, the Leafs took a chance in Cody Ceci this last year because they thought he was just getting buried in Ottawa, just overexposed on a bad team on a top pair. You know, it didn't pan out for him, but in their own, yeah, there are cases of guys just getting too much, uh, too much exposure. And that's probably the case for, for a guy like Bristol Annan. So yeah, there, there's some work to be done. The tough part for a team like the Sabres, which is why I'm still going to be, you know, more skeptical than maybe you guys is just, you got to beat good teams in that Atlantic division. Like Tampa's there and Boston's there and, you know, Montreal got better and Toronto's better, you know, everyone gets better. So it, I think Buffalo's in a better spot, but it's like, they got to make significant jumps to, to everybody get else play. around them is getting better as well. That's a great point. Um, the path to the Stanley cup playoffs in this Atlantic division, 
I don't think it's ever been harder. And one of the teams you didn't even mention, Montreal got better, folks. Like yeah. they, They're not going to be a pushover. We saw what they did late in the year, and you could write that off as a fluke, but uh, Bergevin sure doesn't think so, right? Would you, say, would you say they got that much better, though? I mean, they traded away Max Domi for Josh Anderson. Not, not Nothing against Josh Anderson. Josh Anderson could be a, a good yeah, player. Yeah, but he's oft injured. He's oft injured, you know. He, well, he's he's liable to play a full season. He yeah. plays a heavy game and he has good foot speed for a guy that does that. We don't see that combination a ton anymore in, in the league. So can he be an effective player? I think it goes back to the point we just talked about. Is his usage going to be there, right? Can he be put in a spot to be successful? I like Dwayne. I like some of the back end things that Montreal's done. Like Thomas Tatar is still there, right? Uh, they still have the best goalie in the world in my mind and Carey Price. And guess what? With this, Justin, I wanted to ask you about this. With the condensed season, right? We don't know how condensed it's going to be. I think more than ever, having two goalies that can play is going to be so huge. We saw that with Dallas. Dwayne, me and you have talked about this. I think one of the signings that's going to go, or the trade, the trading sign that's going to go under the radar, but could prove to be really helpful to a team like Montreal, is Jake Allen, right? Yeah. So often we've seen Montreal struggle because their second goaltender, as much as Carey Price has been out of this world, their second goalie has been subpar. I think Jake Allen is one of the best backups in the league. Now well, he has to play like that and he hasn't, but that's one of the things that worries me about the Sabres. And I was really surprised Well, not maybe not surprised that we didn't make a move on, um, but it's, it just really worries me guys. Yeah. The, uh, the Montreal thing you hear people be like, well, you can't spend $14 million in your crease or whatever they're going to spend. But at the same time, Montreal has cap space. They don't mind spending the money and they made their backup goaltending position better. So if there's not somewhere else to allocate the money, then there's nothing wrong with the way they're spending it. Um, yeah. You know, Tr Toronto's obviously battled the backup goalie situation for a long time. I am surprised Buffalo didn't do something just given the amount of available goaltenders this season, but or this off season, but I think they got some young guys on the way they like, don't they? Didn't they sign a look in, um, yeah. You know, we got Eric Portillo, who's currently working with goalie coach Steve Shields, former Sabre. And, uh, yeah, we got to figure Portillo is at least three years away. Oh, yeah, three or four years down the road. But they have guys in the pipeline. Yeah. So my question becomes, um, if, if the Sabres falter early on and it's because of goaltending, you know, Carter Hutton's been very hot and cold. When you look at the best goalies in the NHL, the starters, any goalie, any of the 60 goalies in the NHL, they're all great. They're all great athletes, right? But the best of them are consistent. That's been Carter Hutton's Achilles heel, right? Yeah. And, and, and you could say that about every, everything, but that's one thing I learned as a goalie. I could be the best goalie in any given night. I just couldn't do it night in, night out. Mm -hmm. um, Carter Hutton had a great start last year and then was subpar in the 880 save percentage, right? Dwayne, I think me and you have talked about it. I think we've seen enough from Allmark, um, but I wanted to pick Justin's brain as an outsider you know, if you're coming in and, um, you know, put your, put your coaching hat back on um, and you're playing against a guy like Allmark, what is the lead? How does the league view a guy like that? Cause we, we all know that the scouting reports happen on these guys, teams going into Montreal that are playing Carey price. Part of that is, is that knowing that you're going against that guy, right? Mm -hmm. And not that it's going to change your game, but it's in the back of your mind. Like we need to get high. We need to get traffic. We need to get high danger chances. How does the league view um, the Sabres goaltending? Yeah, that's, you know, it's tough to know if they're, you know, the chicken and the egg thing, like, are, were his numbers really bad because the team in front of him wasn't great? Or is it sort of a vice versa thing? The team doesn't trust him. So maybe they're kind of running out of position. Um, you, you know, it, it is, it is tough to say, but I, I think that Allmark 
you know, you have some sort of precedent in that Leonard went, was there uh, for a while and was okay or good or wherever you'd view his tenure in Buffalo. But now he's, you know, looks like one of the best goaltenders in the world, you know, being nominated for a, for a Vesna. you know. Seems you to know, happen to everybody once they leave Buffalo with Ryan O'Reilly and now him. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, keep going. Well, like Allmark, Allmark might be a guy who's maybe a better goaltender than we're giving him credit for just because the defense in front of him hasn't been great. So he's been facing a lot of tough chances. It's tough to know chicken and egg with, with, with that. So I think giving him one more year here just to figure out what he really is, is maybe not the worst plan. No, I, I a hundred percent agree. I think Olmark's earned the earned to be considered the starting goalie of this team. Um, and just like what, what Cully said with when, the team was, uh, you know, when, when uh, with, with Montreal, that part of their struggles were the, you know, the inconsistency of that backup position. Same thing could be said about Buffalo, you know, after our hot start, you know, which both Omar and Hutton contributed to. Hutton went, you know, on a downslide. Dwayne, Dwayne, do you yeah. remember that stat I read last episode, Justin? This was fascinating. On, on back-to-back nights or any games within like a day or two, um, Hutton and Allmark's like they were in the eight seventies. Like it was yeah. wild. Like they yeah. just, that, that's not, you can't win with that. Right. Yeah, you don't even know if your team's any good at that point. Like if you can't, you really can't stay off the puck. It's tough to evaluate your team. Exactly. And, and um, one, one thing on that though, uh, one of my biggest knocks, cause I wasn't an Eichel believer early on. I thought his defensive play was suspect. Right. And if you're going to be an elite play driving center, you, you can't score goals if you're constantly chasing the puck and playing defensive zones. You have to have the ability to, you know, be a plus player and not get beat defensively, but also like the effort killed me. I seen a huge growth in his game there. And I think that, you know, let me ask you this, Justin, playing with Taylor Hall, I think it's been talked about that they're at least going to start that. Ralph Kruger said it, that Hall and Eichel will play. Who do you see being an ideal fit on that right wing? Is it Reinhardt? Is it uh, Olofsson? Um, cause that has the, they have the ability to be a top, top line in the league, but that, you know, they got to get that chemistry quick. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, really tough. I don't know the Sabres. I don't feel like I know their personnel well enough to make that sort of guess. All, all I know is here, actually, I shouldn't even say all I know. I think there's more from Jeff Skinner than, uh, than people think so far. I, I, you know, people talk about his contract as one that they don't really love. I think there's more to be gained from that Jeff Skinner deal. He's a pretty good hockey player. And I think he hasn't played his best hockey yet for you guys. Well, you look at the centers he played with last year. I don't blame him. I mean, I was one of the ones calling for his head too, but you bring up a good point. This guy is a year and a half removed from 40 goals. Yeah. Right. You have to, you have to do something right. He's a guy that I played against in the Ontario league and he, just, he's so dynamic going 10 to two and being deceptive in the offensive zone, um, you know, to create space for himself and, and you need good line play in order to, you know, get, have those chances. His shooting percentage was abnormally low for his averages last yeah. year. So you have to think that he'll bounce back there. Um, and then it goes back to, you know, with the addition of, of, of stall, and, you know, having Tall come in, how that pushes some talent down the forward depth chart with the Sabres. Yeah. I think that this will be a good bounce back year for Skinner. Yeah, there, there that? I agree. I, I think, you know, having the more, you know, the better option at center on that second line, if he does play on the second line, maybe he does play on the first. We don't know. Um, you know, that consistency and being able to rely, rely on an actual center playing there and not a, a makeshift winger into a center is going to do a world for Jeff Skinner's game this next season. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, we got to end this early, but um, Justin, it's been awesome talking to you, man. I, I think I speak for both of us. We'd love to have you back on. And I think it would be good for the game, just the good for the sport to have the Leaf Savers rivalry relevant again. 
Um, for anybody that hasn't followed Justin, be sure to uh, at JT Born um, on Twitter. Uh, you could catch him on Fan Five Ninety. And um, really, folks, his work at Sportsnet is is above and beyond. Justin, it's been a pleasure, man. As, as a hockey player, you know, kind of trending, going to school for journalism, get into it myself. You, you've been somebody that I've looked up to. So having you come on has been a blast for me, man. Um, you, you're great at what you do, and you give some awesome insight. We really appreciate it. Can't wait to have you back on, man. Thanks again. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. You guys are doing a great job. Look forward to coming back. Awesome, man. Ladies and gentlemen, that's been Justin Bourne. What a great interview. Um, this has been the first part of episode 37 of Two Goalies, One Mike. Here's a word from our sponsors. We'll be back after this. This podcast is brought to you by Mitt's Barbershop, created and owned by a true friend of the program, Justin Gritsky. Mitt's is a modern-day barbershop that provides a cool atmosphere featuring some of the greatest barbershops Buffalo has to offer. Come in, enjoy a free beer, play some video games, and get the best haircut in the area. When I asked Justin what sets Mitts apart from the evil chain super-duper cuts that we see at every intersection, his answer says it all. My vision was to create the only true barbershop in Cheektowaga. When customers walked in, I wanted them to get that feeling they got when they strolled into the barbershops of old. The golden era of what a barbershop meant not just a place to get your hair cut. So if you're looking for the real deal, come on down to Mitts to get the real feel of what a true barbershop is and what it's supposed to be. The clear-cut top dog for all your haircutting needs. Look no further than Mitts Barbershop. And when you mention that two goalies and one mic sent you in, receive $5 off your haircut that day. Talk about customer service at its finest. Located at 3461 Genesee Street in Cheektowaga, it is located right next door to the 33 Speakeasy Bar and Grill. Their phone number is 868-1424, and their hours are Monday, 12 to 6, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. On Saturday, they're open from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., and closed on Sundays because why not? Everybody deserves a little Sunday fun day. I want to finish this ad read off by reading a great testimonial from one of Mitt's loyal customers. Tired of the cookie cutter salons trying to get your attention? Also tired of those men-focused salons? Then when you leave, you feel like you just visited a Supercuts for Men and the haircut isn't any better? Then Mitt's is the place for you. Great cut, very professional, great atmosphere. A great place for men to get cut and trimmed up. I'm honestly a little sad I'm only visiting Buffalo because I need something like Mitts back home. You heard it here first. Come on down to Mitts for a great cut and an even better experience. We're happy to have them as a sponsor to the show, and we hope you join us in finding out what makes Mitts just so special thanks again to justin and all the hard work him and his staff do and without further ado we'll kick it back to two goalies one mike ladies and gentlemen welcome back to part two of episode 37 of two goalies one mike i'm johnny cullen with Dwayne steinell as always 
We are pleased to be joined by one of the greats in the hockey journalism world, Greg Wyshynski. Uh, he's currently the co-host of the Puck Soup podcast. Check it out if you haven't. He has uh, you know, some awesome guests on there. Right now, senior writer at uh, and ESPN for the NHL. Um, Greg, I followed your work way back at, at the Puck Daddy. Um, I actually did a couple pieces for Sanaya Sapergi while I was still playing. Oh, yeah. Do you remember Sanaya? Oh, I, I loved Sanaya, and I just saw that she got one of her pieces, I think, into, uh, like, Best American Sports Writing or, or whatever that book is uh, that they put out every year. So, yeah, she's she's awesome. And, uh, yeah, well, yeah, Puck Daddy was a fun time. I don't know. if I often wonder, and, and you could tell me this as somebody who read the site, could it exist in 2020? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it could. Question. <laughs> I, I just, I, I, you know, I really don't know. Um, I would love to see why, though. Um, I don't know how ESPN would feel about that, but. Um, give a little reiteration, <laughs> but no, Greg, you're somebody that's, you know, well-respected in the industry. I'm, and we could spend hours and hours with you. I know this interview is going to be a bit short. Maybe we can have you on, you know, back at, in a little bit. Um, but, and uh, I think I speak for Dwayne here, would love to, to pick your brain before we get into a couple of your pieces. They've been fascinating. Um, what do you think the Sabres have done throughout the offseason? the addition of Hall, being able to get Reinhardt and Olofsson in at reasonable numbers, um, we were just talking to Justin Bourne about it. You know, there, there's much to be desired on the back end as far as usage and performance goes. Uh, the mm -hmm. goaltending has been inconsistent, to say it friendly. Um, what's holding back this Sabres team in an Atlantic division that's only gotten better across the board? Well, depth, depth of talent, obviously, is the, the, big, the big issue. Um, when you have a traffic jam of teams like uh, Boston, the lightning and uh, the, the Leafs in front of you, uh, it becomes kind of an arduous climb to to try to match those teams line for line and deep pairing for deep pairing and goalie for goalie. Um, you brought up the goalies, and since this is a goalie-centric show, I am a little weirded out that they didn't improve that department just because of how much yeah. was available uh, in this offseason. It was the summer of it goalies, was, man. Yeah, it's a really weird deal to have that many goalies move and be available. And also, not only that, but goalies that are on teams that are facing cap crunches too that probably would have been available as well. Um, it's kind of weird to not have taken the opportunity to upgrade that position. Um, so when Kevin Adams got the job, uh, I, I referred to him as Kevin from Business Administration. I was very wary about him just being this like unqualified Pagula drone that had been sort of thrust in this position. Still could be, still could be, you don't know. Right, still could be, but you got to admit like a pretty decent opening, right? I mean, I think you could that do a lot worse. Right than... away, and you're right, he has. Yeah, right. Some of those, like some of, yeah, some of the, some of the solutions have been short-term. I mean, like Eric Stahl clearly is a short-term solution. Taylor Hall, unless he's convinced otherwise is a short-term solution, but I mean, like, I, I was really impressed. I mean, I think that he's addressed some needs to make this team at least more competitive this season. And and again, like, we throw around terms like culture change all the time in the NHL. But, like, the first part of culture change is is proof of concept. It's, like, success. It's It's changing the vibe of an organization. And to not have had that since Terry bought the team... Uh, you, you got to get a little bit of it. You got to get a little glimmer and then you can kind of, you know, it's like when you start a fire, it's like you get an ember 
and then you you do everything you can to stoke it and create the fire and like if you could have one good season where you're at least a bubble team um you know that could lead to some some better feelings and, and better things and and maybe at the very least we could all stop playing armchair psychologist for Jack Eichel for two seconds. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I think enjoy that. <laughs> I think <he> would. <laughs> um, one of the things obviously um, that, you know, when I, you know, go through your, I, I guess I follow you pretty closely on Twitter um, just obviously outside of um, the obvious with Taylor Hall, that relationship he had with Kruger um, obviously mm-hmm. helped immensely to get him here. And, you know, a lot of people are, you know, we, we talk about with Justin Moore, the, 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 the argument holds weight that this is just a one tier one year deal for him. And he might go somewhere else as he's looking to cash in on the opportunity of playing with Jack Eichel. It's my personal belief that just listening to the guy talk. And again, this is him saying all the right things that I think he does look to stay here long-term because he speaks so, so, so highly of, Je- of Ralph Kruger and wanting to play for him. And, and he's very specific when he talks about Ralph and why he loves playing for him. So that makes me think that if things go well for him this season, that you could look at a long-term deal for, for Taylor Hall, you know, whether it's five, six, seven, eight years. I, I potentially like, I'm always a little bit suspicious about guys who sign for coaches um, because the guys are undoubtedly going to be there longer than the coaches. Right. I mean, like, yeah. like, like well, Ralph is great, Buffalo, especially in Buffalo. Yeah. Especially yeah. in Buffalo. Right. Like you're going to be here longer than right. And, and, and it ain't like Ralph is, you know, 35 years old either. You know, like he's got, he's always a guy with other interests too. So um, I, I'd be a little suspicious about him coming back purely for Ralph, but I mean, like if there's forward trajectory, there's a forward trajectory for the team. Um, if the economic landscape is still one where, you know, the savers are one of the loan teams paying him what he's looking to make on a long-term deal. And he gets the opportunity to play with Jack and they click. I mean, who's to say, right? I, I think the, the thing that we can say is that there is a better chance he goes to Buffalo and signs long-term than there ever was of him signing long-term in Arizona when he got traded there. So at least he got that. I, I don't think he goes to Buffalo and signs this deal just looking to get the Eichel escalator on his uh, uh, cap hit like Skinner did. I think he probably goes there with an open mind of being like, all right, if this, if this is good and considering the landscape, uh, you know, if something can, can work out great and if it doesn't, it doesn't. I think you bring up an interesting point. I, as soon as that trade was made from Hall to Arizona, as much as I respect Rick Tockett and what he's built there, I just thought that the way that they play really doesn't condone the way Hall plays. And as somebody that played against Hall in the OHL and got scored on multiple times from him, <laughs> and knowing that you know playing a north-south game and, and utilizing his speed, um, especially countering, is something he's very good at. Didn't see that a ton with Rick Tockett. Now, that doesn't take away anything from what they're doing in the desert. I think that he's used his pieces extremely well and even got them farther than I thought he would, right? Um, right. I think that you mentioned you have to be wary anytime a player signs because of a coach. But I think that, like, we hit on it a little bit. It's appealing to not only play with Eichel, but to have that familiarity. You look back that season that uh, Ralph coached in Edmonton, um, mm-hmm. half a season, right? Like him getting let go, obviously rubbed people the wrong way. Halsey was on the up and up, just becoming a good pro. Um, when you covered the world cup of hockey, um, did, did you notice anything about Ralph that you've, you've seen maybe that he hasn't done as well here? Like, is there anything that, that we, the Sabres could take the next step 
um, <laughs> underneath him with the, with the players that Kevin Adams has provided him. Well, it's funny, like you brought up the way Taka coaches. I mean, the, the thing about Kruger in, in, in world, the World Cup was what that was like. That was how Team Europe played. Like they played real close to the best, try to win the game one nothing. try to win on the strength of their goaltending. But is that and, because uh, of what he had? Yeah, that's because of what he had, right. So like, I, I think part of the issue with, with the Sabres is uh, that he's tried to figure out what they have. And, and I don't know if he's figured it out yet. I mean, from line to line, it's a different deal. Like you certainly don't want to play a style of hockey that's going to in any way hinder the way that, that Eichel plays, you know, and that some of the better offensive players play just for the sake of trying to play closer to the best and, and win closer games. Um, but that said, but that said, you know, based on the, the defensive personnel and the goaltending, maybe that should have been the way they played. I don't know. Like I, I'm always torn uh, about like playing to win and, and playing to make a good product and keep some of your better players happy. Uh, because I, I do think in some cases they could be mutually exclusive. Sometimes they come together in a really impressive way, like in Dallas, where you had buy-in from Sagan and you had buy-in from Radulov and players like that who would otherwise love to play run and gun, um, but, uh, but were will, will, willing to play a more defensive style under Jim Montgomery and then Rick Bonus. Did you um, think anything of that had to do with that, the owner calling them out last year? Yeah, I remember that. Um, I mean, I, I think, time, I think right? it made them better. I think it made them better players. I think it made them more complete players and more engaged players, but well, it certainly didn't, it didn't necessarily translate into points. <laughs> I mean, it's just, uh, yeah. they're, they're not, they're not a huge explosive team, but, um, but sacrificing the individuality, yeah. individual point, um, you know, total for the betterment of the team. Yeah. And, you know, like, I'm sorry to cut you off. Like I said, I think you were meaning the bonus coming in and not that Montgomery was doing a terrible job, but they seem to click. You're right. And, and, and they found success. Um, well, and, and what you need is buy-in. Right. And so like, if you can play a certain style, let's say he wanted to play that team Europe style and all of a sudden the Sabres are, you know, they, they, they remain in a playoff spot after their early season spike, which is, you know, it's going. It seem, seemingly happens every year, but then doesn't sustain. Like then, ten then games you get, in a row, and we're out. Yeah, right. Then you get buy-in. So it, I don't know. Like I, I leave it to Ralph to figure out what the personality of this team should be. But obviously, like with Stall and Hall coming in, you're not going to necessarily want to play a more defensive style. Yeah, and with another another addition that uh, you know Kevin Adams made, and um, you know I'm very on the fence about um, because I think that. I, I think we still haven't done enough on our own blue line to be a real playoff contending team. I think outside of obviously a backup goalie, you know, um, I, I think the blue line is where we're going to struggle most, but another, another addition that he did make for me that, you know, again, I'm very 50, 50 on it was the Cody Eakin signing. Um, his Corsi numbers aren't the greatest, you know, all, all the analytics say that he chases the play more often than he controls the puck. So, you know, what, what is your opinion on that and his role coming into, into Ralph Kruger's system? Because it just seems that everybody that Ralph, outside of Taylor Hall, it seems like they're here to play a certain role. Um, yeah. Cody Eakin being one of them, um, obviously they brought in, uh, you know, um, Ryder in, uh, Ryder in, Tobias Ryder, to, uh, you know, really improve a very t- horrendous power play, especially when they were playing away from the kill. Pardon? Penalty kill, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. He'll be on the PK, yeah. Penalty kill, yeah. Penalty kill. And then Eakin hopefully contributes to that. Uh, you know, again, especially they were, they were like, I think they were dead last in the league when they weren't playing uh, at home. 
Um, you know, where do you see him fitting in in all this? Can he get himself back to where he was with Vegas a couple of years ago, or do you just see him being just the same exact player as he was in Vegas this past season? Yeah, I think that's it. I, I think his ceiling is like a, an, a, a fairly slightly above average third line center, uh, probably best cast as a fourth line center. Um, I, I, he was completely miscast uh, in, in Winnipeg yeah. uh, where yeah, they were hoping to get a lot more out of him than, than he can give. Um, I mean, he's fine. Uh, he's, is that he's not, not what the Sabres lack, though, Greg? Like, you look back and, and, and yeah. I think the influx of yeah. Small and getting Hall kind of pushes some of that talent down into your lineup. But you look in mm-hmm. the past couple of years, the Sabres' bottom six was atrocious, right? Like, yeah, I mean, guys oh, like BC and Rodriguez really underperformed. Yeah. You know, maybe a guy like that can can find, uh, you know, new meaning to his career, a Tobias Ryder, sure. Cody Eakin, with the right sure. structure and usage. Yeah, those are the little incremental moves that Adam has made that I think could could pay off, you know, in the end if you've made your your bottom six stronger with veteran guys. But you know, like I, I, I it, the question was, can Eakin be what he was a few years ago? And uh, I think that was an anomaly. And yeah. it was also a very good gold, a very deep Golden Knights team that people didn't have a ton of tape on. You know, they're playing a new yeah. system, right? Like you, you right. get better matchups when teams don't know how to match up against you. Um, question for you and, um, the, the Atlantic to me, one of the most difficult divisions, right. To get to the, to the playoffs in, um, it's going to be interesting to see how the Titan schedule affects that. I think that, um, the strength of goaltending, I, I, we talked to Justin about it. I think one of the moves that I like the best is in for Montreal, picking up a Jake Allen, you know, you got Carey Price, Montreal, one of their Achilles heel has been the inability to have, you know, good backup goaltending on the back-to-backs, which I think we're going to see a lot more back-to-backs this year. Um, I oh, like yeah. what Montreal's done. Not to say they're at the cream of the crop. They're not. But, you know, I don't think Buffalo's going to be competing with Tampa Bay. I don't think Buffalo's going to be competing <laughs> with Boston if they continue to be the team that they have been. Um, so a team like Montreal, a team like Toronto is, is who you're going to have to pass in the standings. Um, what do you see out of the Atlantic division um, and anybody, you know, I know you've covered a lot in, in your pieces, which has been a great read for anybody that hasn't check him out on an ESPN and his, his podcast, he delves deep into this stuff. Um, who do you see being, um, you know, a surprise in, in the Atlantic this year? Montreal is a tough one to figure. I mean, like I, I'm like you, I, I like the goaltending move. Um, they're, they're such a, uh, hot and cold team though. Like I like the goaltending move. I hate the contract they gave him. I liked the Josh hey, Anderson move. I, I hate the contract they gave him. Like, uh, they, they do have the money, but eventually, like, you know, under the yeah, flat cap and everything else, you're going to have to figure out some stuff down the line. It's going to go down. It's going to go down because the only reason it stayed the same this year because the the collective bargain agreement, correct? I don't, well, think, it, I don't think it's going to drop, but it, it may not rise, right, like all that much. Um, uh, I mean, you got the big three, and then you've got trash in Ottawa and, and Detroit. And then you got, you know, Buffalo and, and, and uh, Montreal and, and Florida and kind of that middle range of, you know, what are they going to end up being? And, 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 and you have to say that, like, that Montreal might be a little bit head and shoulders above just because of what's on the roster and, and some of how the youth finished. and some of the younger players and how they finish and the goaltending. Uh, Florida is a tough nut to crack, um, especially with the new GM there. You figure that there's going to be sort of a, a transitional thing and you know losing Dadnoff and Hoffman uh kind of affects what they do offensively uh so you know I, I think you've got a, a team in transition in Florida a team on the rise in Montreal and then a team that could be pretty good in the short term in Buffalo 
um, you know, if they get their defensive house in order, I think, and, and if Hall and Eichel are as good as we think they can be, and if Stahl, you know, has enough left to really lock down that second line. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're going to be in the mix, I think, uh, the, you know, contingent on what the, well, contingent on what the other division's wildcard situation is, but also contingent on, um, like, what the format of the season is going to be, Fair which enough. is the real question. Yeah. I mean, I have one if they more- want to play a, tw- a 30 game season, I mean, I'm all for it as a Buffalo Sabres fan. We have that hot start. <laughs> well, it's, it's 500 it's, hockey. It's, like, let's go. I'm ready. We're it's, laughing. It's not just that. It's also like what the alignment's going to be. Because if, if they do the all Canadian division, and by all counts, they are because of the border issue. True. Like, what are we looking at as far as the alignment? And what are we looking at as far as the playoff? You know, I don't think that they are. Uh, they're going to expand the playoffs based on everything we heard from Bill Daly when we talked to him for ESPN, based on everything that Bettman has said and just what I've heard behind the scenes. They really want to go back to a traditional 16-team tournament uh, with fans in the stands. Uh, but, you know, it, how we get there is the question. Did you get a read in your interviews with them, with Daly, and with what Bettman said on if that Canadian division does happen? Um, obviously, you take out the – you know, the divisional head to head with certain teams Would that, with that all Canadian division then become a division uh, for the playoff format. Right. Like how does that affect the Atlantic? Yeah. We don't know. <laughs> like you have any, uh, and if that's, you had to guess, what would your guess be? If I have to guess, I think that the teams that are clustered together at the beginning of the season are going to be their divisions for the season. But like, I would have to guess right? that's the only way to do it. Huh? I think it'd be fascinating to see, right? Just in, in how yeah, it would be, and because it w- it wouldn't make sense to have like, you know, the traditional divisions, but not have any of those teams play each other for right. How does that a fair playoff format? Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I, I think listen, everything's on the table. Like they, they are just starting to get into meetings now with the NHLPA to figure out what they want to do. But like, if they are considering this this hybrid bubble idea, which they are. Um, and it ends up being what they do, then they're going to have to realign for at least one year. Have yeah. you heard a start date thrown around at all? Yeah, uh, conventional wisdom is middle of January, um, but the, there are still a lot of teams that we've talked to that believe it could be February first. Um, but I think I think the the, the, more, the with the NBA going and with uh, competition for dates in these arenas starting to heat up for the spring. They really have to kind of put the pedal down and get this going. And I, and I think the smart money is on, you know, if you look at the percentage of the off season that we've already had as of like right now, we'd be around August 1st. So you figure Camp two months soon, from now. Right? Yeah. You figure two months from now. I mean, that kind of puts you middle of January. So I, th- I think that's kind of what they're looking at. I mean, if, if, if I was going to put a bet on when they're going to start, it'd be like the middle of January. And the closer you get to that, right? Like the, the feet are on the coals, right? You don't have that flexibility, yeah. but yeah. that you need in something like this. You just brought up an interesting point that I just thought of um, with the whole bubble idea. You can't make a bubble work in a city that needs that rink for a basketball game. Right. Well, you, you, I mean, yeah, uh, that's, that's got, true. Right? So, so like, that's why they're looking at places like, Columbus and, and uh, Dallas, Buffalo, Vegas, Buffalo, uh, Buffalo. Yeah. That <laughs> there's not going to be that kind of competition, but the real, the real interesting thing is like they were able to take over a couple of hotels in Edmonton and Toronto for the bubbles there. And I mean, hotels are open now. Like people are booking wedding blocks and shit. You know, so it's like, to get out of yeah. town. 
I have one quick. Yeah, sure. Um, Rasmus Dahlin, um, somebody at very high expectations coming into the draft. Obviously, you look at, at um, you know, the teams he's played on. Defensemen trend to take um, tend to take longer to adjust, but that that kind of notion with Cal McCarr with Quinn Hughes, fuck, like Sabres fans are wondering, you know, if we have what was it? Um, this is the first time that two defensemen, rookie defensemen, led the score, oh. right? Like, yeah, Arlene, how much of that is usage and who he's been around? When can we see the, a jump from him, or do we see it? Is he still an elite level franchise defenseman? He so he is, but awesome. he might not put the he might not put the point totals that McCarr puts up. But that doesn't yeah. mean he's not a great defenseman. Right, they're different players. Um, yeah, I think I think he's a fa- he's a foundational guy. Like he's the like, least year worries is is we're, like we're, Deline. We 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 struggle with puck possession on this team, and we don't we don't possess the puck very often as yeah. you know as you do in Colorado, as you do in Vancouver, where they're more more built to win right now rather than we are where we really yeah. hopefully next season on the following season. So you know, that, that's all I think that's all I know has like, you know, what team possesses the puck more, you know, you know, yeah. are you defending or are you attacking more? Um, one yeah. last, one last thing I want to ask you Greg, before we let you go here is um, obviously I said, as I mentioned before, there's some, there's some more building blocks Sabres, the Sabres need in order to be a better team. I said on defense, there's two names out there that stick out most to me that, uh, you know, I, I should say are surprised, surprised they're still out there. And maybe I'm wrong. I just I've been out kind of off the grid, you know, with the election this week. But um, obviously, um, Travis Hamanick is still mm-hmm. available, and Sammy Vatanen. Do you mm-hmm. have you heard anything on those two guys? And and a follow up that is Chicago. You know, which you mentioned Chicago as a rebuilding team too, and that being a potential trade partner for many teams, maybe even Buffalo. I know you you tweeted in the past about maybe Pat Kane maybe coming home to Buffalo. I mean, I, that's, <laughs> that's you know that's. Very, very, very out there, you know, but, you know, it, it's, it's not beyond the, you see what they did, you know, when they, 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 they retained salary and that sod deal with Colorado, why teams are even like answering the phone for Joe Sackick is beyond me, but they <laughs> are, um, but Joe's a machine, said, you know, you know it, it's, it's, it, they're in a rebuild right now. And, you know, you look at the guys like Jonathan Tayus and Pat Kane off guard. They catch them off guard. So where do you see that franchise going? And do you see any of the main pieces they've had there for you know better part of a decade now? Do you see them on their way out? I mean, it's 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 kind of like a San Jose situation where like it, it is very much on those players to determine when their time in Chicago is done. Like that's that's the bottom line. Like they could say they're there for the duration of their contracts if they wanted to, but I mean, there's still a notion that they're going to be able to put enough pieces around those guys to make another run at it and and so now you get into this situation of like uh you know how how long is that going to take because la is trying to do the same thing and it's not a, a coincidence that those are the two like dominant franchises for the last decade outside of pittsburgh um trying to kind of like rebuild in the same way i, I mean la is certainly on track to do so because they have an incredibly robust prospect pool uh, chicago yeah, Chicago much less so. So I'm skeptical they're going to be able to pull it off. But at the end of the day, when you give those guys all trade protection, they can they can dictate when they want to go. Awesome. Hey, I I, I know you got to go. Really appreciate your time. You're one yep. of the best in the biz. And like I said before, it's been a fun follow. For anybody that doesn't, you know, catch him on Twitter. Um, I, I pulling up your handle at Wyshinsky. You got the <laughs> podcast. That was easy for me. I yeah, but no. Wyshinsky was available on Twitter. Go figure. Yeah, go I don't figure. Know how. <laughs> Um, I don't know how I got it. <laughs> real quick, last question in passing. Um, what um, 
what's been your best for, for either interviews or, or on your podcast? What's been your most favorite de- guest to date? Oh, Jesus. Um, hmm. it, it's usually like the people that we, we don't, it, back, back in the day when we first started doing Puck Soup, we, we had a lot of like non-hockey people on to talk about uh, their, their, their love of the game and stuff. <laughs> and uh, I think like one of them was definitely John C. McGinley, the dude from Scrubs, who is a huge uh, Red Wings fan. I didn't know a that. Fascinating guy. Oh yeah, yeah. He's the, he was and, the doctor. We, he was the lead doctor, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, and we've had we've had we had with the, one of the dudes from the band Animal Collective. Um, we had we had a lot of interesting people that were just sort of hockey adjacent. Um, whether it was authors, there was a dude who um, you know, there's a movie reviewer that we had on from IndieWire. There was a guy who writes a, a food blog, like. The beauty of the show when we had the guests, and we haven't had them lately because of just the format and COVID and the whole thing, but like, um, it was just sort of celebrating hockey world and and the people that that love the game and and make time in their lives for it. And and so that's yeah. If there's one like plank in my platform as a writer and as a you know content creator for the last like 15 years, whatever it's been, um, it's that very thing of just like. It's cool that we can all do Q and A's with the GMs that we know, but like everybody does that. Your ability broaden, to culture, broaden right? the tent. Yeah, like try to like figure out ways to make it more appealing to the masses and and celebrate the ways in which hockey does translate in different ways than simply just the day to day transactional journalism that goes on. You know, I think that that's what makes some of the best pieces, some of the best interviews, right? And and yeah. the ability to to reach out and connect with those people to blend kind of pop culture and, and you know and and how hockey I like the word hockey adjacent. I think there's way there's so many NHL fans. I know the NHL loves to run with like the girl from the office and and like you know what I mean. They're the same old, but <laughs> there's so many people and. Um, you know, in our world that um, you wouldn't know is a diehard Red Wings fan or yep. you know, it loves the Oilers or whatever it may be. So, I mean, I really have enjoyed your work. I know our listeners, if they haven't already, will definitely enjoy it. Would I know you're a busy guy. We appreciate you making time. I'm sure we could have spent hours with you. I would love to have you back on at some point and, and hopefully yep. it'll be when the Sabres are relevant and we're talking about, you know, their, their playoff push. Uh, that would yeah. be so first 10 games of the season. Gotcha. A big friend of the program, uh, Greg, wanted me to say hello. And, uh, you know, I also thank him for, uh, you, know, you know, convincing me to, you know, reach out to you. Uh, Steve Bennett from Sportscasting. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's, he's a friend he's of the show. show. He's good people, man. To let you know he said hello. And, That's awesome. Uh, so, uh, but thanks, Greg. I appreciate it, man. Um, yep. You know. You know, we'll uh, hopefully talk to you soon. We'll be talking about, you know, hopefully a Sabres playoff push. You got it, boys. Thanks for having me. We'll do it again. Awesome, folks. That was Greg Wyshynski, um, co-host of Puck Soup Podcast, senior writer at ESPN. Dwayne, what a, what a guy. And and for some, Absolutely. one of our biggest guests, I, I, know, I know not everybody may know him, but if you're into hockey and hockey journalism, he's been a mainstay. He's one of the guys. And um, from his time, through Puck Su- or from Puck Daddy, which was, for people that don't know, Yahoo Sports used to have this great, well, he was the head guy. They had one of the top NHL, like, journalism departments, right? Like, in, right. in a lot of people that he brought on, writers and, um, you know, editors are now at The Athletic or, or at ESPN or, or Sportsnet, and, and he is dynamite at what he does. A um, yeah. couple clicks for Dwayne. 
for booking these guests, folks. Um, he does a ton of the behind the scenes work. As much as I give him shit for, for not editing, um, he is he is starting to edit now, but he books all these guests, folks, and I do none of that. And that's a huge shout out to you, Dwayne. Um, unbelievable. You. Um, these are two of my favorite guests. My only wish is that we had more time with them, but you know what? For the time we did have, we packed a ton of content in Absolutely. there. And I think this is going to be a great episode. I think everybody's going to love it. Yep, guys. And you know what? For all those listening, if you haven't already, what helps us the most here at Two Goalies One Mike is when you go uh, you go into your feed, whether it be an Apple or Spotify or whatever your podcasting platform, make sure you hit that five-star rating. Describe and five-star, baby. Describe and five-star. Leave us a good review. Um, we appreciate it, guys. You know, you have no idea. So um, with that being said, we do, uh, you know, we do have to get going here. Um, we do have more, you know, it's hard to believe uh, after having Justin Bourne and uh, Greg Wyshynski, two of the most premier hockey writers in the business. I do have in the pipeline some more. Uh, Wait, I want you to drop it so bad. I know you can't yet, but yeah, like, we, folks. It, it's coming. It's coming. Uh, certain podcast. Can I drop a hint? Sir, sir, you can. Um, let's just say this. The, the category that this person fits into, um, we've never had on the show. And he, can I just say he's an active, active player? Let's just put it that way. I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah, active player. Yep, yep. Um, active player. Hopefully, that's a hopeful. That's a hopeful. You know, there's still some things, some T's to be crossed, some I's to be dotted there. But another one, too, guys. Um, he's a big time podcaster up in Toronto. Not going to drop his name, but he has his own navy. That's all I'll say about that. Um, but Cully, again, with that being said, this has been an amazing episode. Dwayne, I really love what you've brought to the table. I know we had a little week off there. Um, but we brought the heat here. Being able to combine these two, um, you know, these two big time guests has been great. It's been fun. Uh, love to, you know, Justin Bourne is a fascinating guy, man. That story about how he met his wife, his dad being awesome. uh, him, his dad and Clark Gillies being best friends and, and playing, winning the cups for the Islanders. And then, and then him marrying Clark Gillies daughter. Like, that's so cool. And you know what? I, I'm happy I caught that article he wrote with USA Today. If anybody wants to go down memory lane, like I said, the, the hockey culture, although it's being talked about a ton now with inclusivity and all that, go read his article from 2008 in USA Today. It is powerful. I'm sure most of you know by now, Brennan Burke's son um, came out as, as an openly gay man, and, and he was one of the first. But the way Justin Bourne knocked down those barriers, dude, I give that guy so much fucking credit. He is a real cool cat. Really enjoyed. He's somebody that I, 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 I know he enjoyed that too. He'll be back on with us. Oh, absolutely. I think Greg too, too. Like I said, it's been a while, you know, a lot of back and forth with both those guys to get them to, you know, come on two goalies one Mike. but you know, we got, we got them, we got it done. And I mean, I think uh, our listeners and hopefully soon our viewers are going to uh, enjoy both those interviews. So we, we did the video real quick before our closing note, the video that, that we put out from uh, our response to Steve, uh, Steve Dangle, was I in that way? Um, I, I, I don't think we actually even okay. got that uploaded. So, so I, I asked, we were going to put up our video from our response to Steve Dangle. I didn't know we were always record the video of us, but I didn't know at the time. And folks, I have this thing I do whenever I'm podcasting, I close my eyes when I talk. And, and it, it shouldn't be an issue, but if you look at me during this video, I look like sloth from the Goonies with his eyes closed. It was tough. You actually weren't that bad today. You weren't that bad. No, I've been trying consciously to keep them open, but it's just something I do. I just close them. Um, yeah. A name came up today, Sanaya Sapergi. She's uh, one of the head editors at the Athletic Toronto. She actually 
I wrote uh, like four or five pieces for Yahoo Sports um, NHL when I was in still playing. And she got me into this journalism thing. I'm yep. going to reach out to her because she'd be a fascinating one. Check her out, folks. Sanaya Supergi at The Athletic. She's great. Um, check out Born at JT Born on Twitter, at Wyshynski on Twitter, two powerhouse guests. We hope you enjoy this episode. Like Dwayne said, and I'm going to steal something from my idols and part of my take. Go on Apple, Spotify, um, like, subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe again, rate it five stars, unsubscribe, subscribe again. Um, I love those guys. They do great stuff. Uh, really hope you guys enjoyed the show. Wouldn't be able to do it without our sponsors. Uh, really appreciate it at, at Mitt's Barbershop. Um, love those guys. And um, you know what? It's going to be a fun couple of weeks here. I'm, I'm all jacked up. Absolutely, man. I uh, cannot wait for the uh, next upcoming episodes. But, you know, with that being said, uh, you know, this has been Two Goalies, One Mike, everybody. We will see you next week. This podcast is brought to you by Better Biscuit. Better Biscuit is a hockey training tool designed to help you develop your game. These fiberglass reinforced pucks are developed to handle less than perfect surfaces, enabling hockey players of all ages to practice their skills in their driveway, basement, or schoolyard, honing their skills whenever and wherever possible. It comes in two different styles. The Better Biscuit Sniper helps players develop forehand, backhand, one-touch, saucer, drop passing, and shooting. Ideal for perfecting those toe drags, puck control, and stick handling. The other option is the Better Biscuit Passer. The passer will help you develop softer hands and help you become more accurate with your passes and stick handling. Will also help you improve your puck possession confidence for any skill level. Be sure to check out Better Biscuit at betterbiscuit.net for all your hockey training needs. Thanks again for all your support. And be sure to check out Better Biscuit. Now back to the show. Hi, I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com.